So let's turn our Bibles to where we were. <clears throat> First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two, verse nine. Last week we were looking at a holy nation, and we're going to continue from there because we couldn't finish that last week. We said God's chosen people are called to be royal priesthood. But there is also a demand upon God's chosen people to be a holy people, a holy nation. Holiness is central to whatever we do in the kingdom of God. For without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. No man. To a priest, holiness is mandatory. In fact, it has to be seen on their forehead. That's what the scripture stipulates. So that the first thing you see striking you about them is holiness. And the Lord warned us last week that we should take care of every root of bitterness, every root springing up that is of bitterness. Last week's Sunday. He said, less it defiles many. Brothers and sisters, that's the, that's the reality of who God has called us to be. Hallelujah. Turn with me to Exodus, the book of Exodus, just to establish that before we go on. Exodus 28, the book of Exodus 28, just to look at this very well, that's holiness. Has to be part and parcel of a people who are called to hold the priestly office as we all in Christ Jesus have been called to. And it has to be something with, that is clearly stated on our forehead, on the turban that God has put upon us. Holiness has to be there. Otherwise, we become a social club Look at verse, uh, that should be verse 36. You shall also make a plate of pure gold. Can you see purity there? And engrave on it 
like the engraving of a signet, write boldly on it so that it cannot be removed. Holiness to the Lord. Holiness to the Lord. And you shall put it on a blue cord that it may be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow in all their gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead, not occasionally, not when it comes to church, not no, it shall always be there. Whether in the bedroom, whether outside, holiness has to be there. He shall always have it on. He shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. And you know that our ministry to the Lord is not just confined to a building. At least if nothing had proven that before, now coronavirus has helped us to prove it. That our altars are not necessarily have to be in a building. And that's why the turban of holiness has to be worn all the time for anyone who must approach the Lord acceptably. And we shall see that very shortly. Why it is crucial to the ministry of a priest and to the ministry of a king. The reason, like we said last week, we are not as effective, we are not as potent in our priestly and kingly ministry is the level of our commitment to holiness. Is the distinguishing factor. The disparity in our spiritual growth is based on that. It's, it's one of those things. Your growth will be based on your level of consecration. And your consecration is the determinant of how far you go in the school of holiness. May the Lord give us understanding in Jesus' name. The Lord wants to do something with our lives. But holiness has to be a hallmark. It has to be something that is written on our forehead. It's mandatory. It's essential. It's an essential requirement. It's a foundation for anything God wants to do with a people, with a nation, with a church, with a family. Holiness. Even when we worship God, when we gather together to bring praise to God, whether at our family altar, individually or collectively, the Bible talks about God as the one who inhabits the praise of his people. But there's something that was mentioned there. Can somebody read for me Psalms 22 verse 3? You will see something there that makes this essential. It's critical. The teaching on holiness has been missing largely for a long time in many places. Psalms 
somebody wants to bet, but you are enthroned as the Holy One, the one whom Israel praises. Please again, my sister. I can't hear you very well. Okay. But you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are enthroned as the Holy One. Yes, the one whom Israel praises. Whom Israel praises. praises. You are enthroned, not just enthroned as God, enthroned as the Holy One. Because he has to have inhabit a holy place. You are enthroned as the Holy One. The one whom your, praise, your people praise. Somebody to read it from another translation. So if the priests are people who carry the presence, and one of the responsibilities of priests, which we shall see later in another, in another teaching, is bringing praise, offering praise, acceptable praise unto the Lord, then holiness must be there. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel or your people or your chosen people. And you know today we are the spiritual Israel of God. You are enthroned as the Holy One. The New King James or the Old King James also puts it in a way. The New King James or the New King James. Yes, please. But you are holy. But you are holy. Enthroned in the praises of Israel. Enthroned in the, but you are holy. But you are holy. Enthroned in the praises of Israel. You are holy. Amen. And we said last week that holiness is actually the nature of God. And it is what sustains the integrity of God. Remove holiness from God, it's no longer God. Because that's his nature. You are holy. Holiness to God is his nature. That's who he is. Every other thing, manif- man, you know, they, they, they manifest from his holiness. Every other thing, they are actually products of his holiness. You want to talk about his loving kindness? It's a product of his holiness. You want to talk about his goodness? It's a product of his holiness. You want to talk about his faithfulness? It's a product of his holiness. That is who he is. When you remove the word holy from God, it's no longer God. Hallelujah. Let's move to First Peter. First Peter chapter one. Are we there? Maybe just to save time, if we can go to verse 16, 
That would be great. Okay, you want me to read? Verse 16 has this to say. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. In everything you do, be holy. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Be holy for I am holy. The one who called us, who chose us, is who chose us, is holy. So we have to be holy. Look at verse 17, so that I don't have to read this again because I'm going to make reference to this and similar scriptures later. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your Savior in fear. Just note that verse because I, my eyes just caught it and I know I will make reference to it later. So, for those who God has chosen, who are called to be part of this royal priesthood, then holiness is also essential. Holiness is important. Is that point clear? That's where we were last week. As he is holy, so he wants us to be holy. And we said his holiness is manifested principally in these three dimensions. Purity, Righteousness and and justice. 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 If we can note those three. And last week we spent quite some time looking at that purity, what it means. Purity. We're not just talking about, you know, outward. Outward appearance, outward show that portrays purity. But we are looking at something that starts from within and it shows outside. Hallelujah. It shows. And that is why men who went far with God, they were not just concerned about their external things, they were also concerned about their deepest thoughts. Because purity has to be something from within. Said so only the pure in, in heart would see the Lord. So we are talking about a purity that has its roots from within. A contamination. Sorry, an uncontaminated heart. Uncontaminated thoughts. Imagination. And that's why when Jesus came, you remember that it was not very, when he talked about adultery, for instance, he didn't just talk about it as something you did outside. He talked about it as something you even talked about. He didn't talk about murder as something when you have killed somebody. He talked about that which proceeds from within you. Hallelujah. So it's not what a man eats. That actually defies him, oh. that pollutes him. It's what comes out from his heart. It's what emanates from his heart. A holy man will speak words of holiness. Hallelujah. It's, it's, it's as clear as that. And you only need to leave. 
Some people may bring some holy languages, but you only need to listen to them for a while before they show what is inside. You just wait. It will show. Then you will know where they are coming from. May the Lord give us understanding in Jesus' name. And that's why men of old, they were very concerned about the state of their heart. Even in the presence of God. Very, very concerned. Because they wanted to maintain that inner purity. Let's look at Psalm 66. Because let's just round up this purity thing before we go and then we'll be look at some other scriptures soon. And then we'll look at righteousness, we'll look at justice. And now that should reflect in those of us whom God has called to be a holy nation. In Psalm 66, Psalm 66, uh, let me get there. Okay, in Psalm 66, Verse 18, verse 18, verse 18. Maybe just, okay, 18 and 19 would do. Let's take it 18 and 19. If I had chastised iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has, he has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Okay. Praise God. So, I just want us to understand that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If in my inside of my heart, if I regard iniquity, it won't hear me. So, we are talking about something from within. Amen. Amen. So, then what is righteousness? So, we have looked at purity. So, if purity, like I said, is something from within, and great men who move God, even in the place of prayer as priests, for their family, for the land, for the church, they were people who considered this very seriously. Amen. Amen. Righteousness. Very quickly. So, purity. Now we are going to go to righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is the capacity and the commitment to live right and act right, to live right and do right. The capacity and the commitment to do what is to live right and to do what is right. That's righteousness. It's part of the ways in which the holiness of God is manifested. You live right, you act right. 
You live right, you act right. Capacity and the commitment. The capacity is the wherewithal, the ability to do it. The commitment has to do with the exercise of the will. And that is why the Bible, when we became born again, the scripture talks about how the righteousness of Christ has been imputed on us. But can I quickly tell you that it's not everyone who has that capacity to live right and do right is committed to doing it. Uh Are we getting it now? Yes. So there is the exercise of the will. The capacity has been bequeathed on us when we have the imputed righteousness. You now have the capacity to do it. Before then, you couldn't do otherwise. So coming into Christ gives us the capacity, the ability to be able to think right, live right, and do right. What is right in the sight of God? But do you know where we are failing? So God has that capacity. The capacity of in the holiness of God, God, the capacity of God is to do right, is to act right. Sometimes you say, ah, God, why did you act like this? To you, it may not look right. But if you look at it critically, it's right. It's right in all its ways. Mm-hmm. We may not understand it sometimes. But once it's acted, know that it's right. If he says something, know that what he has said is right. Are you getting the point I'm making? Yes. Ability to think right, live right, act right, do right, is all that God has. And God is committed to it. God is committed to doing it all the time. And for us to be a holy people, a holy nation, for those of us who have been truly born again, to whom the righteousness of God has been imputed, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the place where we are falling short is the commitment. Many of us, we know what is right to do, but we don't do it. You know what the scripture says? To him who knows what is right to do and does not do it, that is sin. It's sin. Do you get the point I'm making? Because you have the capacity to do it, or do you have the commitment, the, the, the commitment to do it? Or it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his goodness. According to the power of his righteousness. There is a willingness, a commitment to do what is right. After sometimes, you know, some of us, we know what is right to do. We struggle with it. No, I don't want to do it. It's not because you don't know. It may be your pride. It may be your ego. But you know what is right to do.
Hallelujah. And for us to be the kind of people God wants, the people that we move his hand, move his heart, move his power, there must be commitment to righteousness. Hallelujah. Amen. You cannot be a king without righteousness. You cannot be a priest without the clothing of righteousness upon your life. That's exactly what it is. And I'll show us very quickly. Psalm 89, verse 14. Let's go there. So, brothers and sisters, as he who has called us is holy, he wants us to be holy. And it is not just in avoiding in contamination by sin and all the rest of them, avoiding things that defile us. There must also be a commitment to do what is right. That's why our holiness is not just, well, God sees my heart, you know. No, 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 no. Is that a commitment to do what is right? In the sight of God. I'm not saying in the sight of men, no. In the sight of God. Psalm 89. Psalm 89, very quickly. Psalm 89, verse 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Do you understand that? Righteousness and justice. They are the foundation of a throne. And wherever you talk about throne, you are talking about kings, you are talking about kingdom. Isn't it? Yes. So to move in power to live as kings on the earth, to exercise divine authority, there must be a commitment to righteousness. It must be the underlying thing. I will do what is right. I'm committed to do what is right. Come what may. The capacity is there if you are born again. If you are not born again, today is your day. You can receive that capacity as you open yourself to God, to God and say, God, I really, I really, really struggle about this matter. Can you impart to me your righteousness? You can't live right without the capacity to do it. That's why I said, look, no, it is, it is uh, what do you call it? Uh, those who live in the flesh, it is impossible for them to please God. They can't even obey the law of God. They can't. They don't have the capacity. But for those of us who have committed our lives to Christ and the spirit of God indwells us and the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us, you have the capacity. Then what you need to check is your commitment. What I need to check is my commitment. Am I committed to it? That's why when you see the church, the bride of Christ in Revelation chapter 19, we can't go there now. He said it was deck in the righteousness, in white robe, which is the righteousness, righteous deeds of the saints. Because there's a commitment. Are you following me? 
It's not just the imputed now, it's the outworked righteousness through commitment. Turn with me again to Sam. I hope I'll find that one quickly. Psalm 100 and, oh, if I find it, it will really, really be good. Good. Psalm 132, verse 9. Psalm 132, verse 9. Somebody to read it for me. Psalm 132, verse 9. May your priest be clothed with your righteousness. May your faithful people sing for joy. That is it. May your priest be may your priests be clothed with righteousness. So without it, there's even more. Don't talk about this too. Do you understand it now? Except we want to make a mockery of the word of God. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a this. No, 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 no. But is there righteousness? Are we clothed in righteousness? And I'm not just talking about the imputed is one. But the commitment to doing is another. The capacity is one, the doing is another. The essence of the capacity to do is so that we do. Isn't it? Because yeah. about the righteous deeds of the saint. Let's go to that Romans 19 because it looks as if it's something God will have us touch on. Romans 19. Uh, it was talking about the bride. Um, okay, I'm right. Uh, talking about those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, uh, from verse 6. From verse 6 of Revelation chapter 19, from verse 6 says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of great multitude, as the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife, that is the church, has made herself ready. Look at verse 8. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean, that is purity, and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts, deeds of the saints. It's not talking about imputed there. I hope you know. That's a deed. That's something done. We are imputed with righteousness, but there must be acting of righteousness. We cannot miss the two. When we mix it, when we don't, we can't distinguish the two, we, there's confusion in the church. The point we are making clear? Yes. And that's why this goes beyond, this is the way you should store your dress, this is the way you should tie it. No, 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 it's not that. Whereas our dressing is important, but it has to be something, there has to be a commitment to doing what is right. It's not legislative. 
He didn't talk about the legislated righteousness. No, that's not legislative. It's act, something you do, something that, that you act out from what is within you. That is what counts. May God give us understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. So, righteousness is like that. And wherever righteousness is, we know we are reading Isaiah chapter 2 the last time, when we are talking about the, the mountain of the lost house being exalted above all the hills, and the nation will drift to it. That's an exaltation, isn't it? But the scripture clearly tells us in Proverbs 14 verse 34, Proverbs 14, verse 34. Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Any. It didn't, it, there's no exemption. Any group of people, whether they call themselves church or whatever, sin will always be a reproach. Are we getting the point? Yes. Then we'll always bring disgrace. Do we want to be a church that is exalted above all ills? Then we must be exalted. We must, we must be outstanding in our commitment to righteousness. Amen. Amen. So these are the truth of the word of God. We can't continue church just as church by, you know, the way in many places it has been. I'm not saying we are the only ones teaching this. No, 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 no. Far from it. But I'm simply saying that the church of God generally and we locally, there must be this evidence of righteousness. If we must exercise our priesthood, if we must you know, come to exaltation the way God wants us to, and if it must become all that God wants us to be, let there be a commitment to this. Do you know one thing the scripture says about king, kingdom, uh, about kings? If you want to be a king, there's something God said about kings. And always look at it. Uh, Proverbs 16, I think it's verse 12. Anybody who can find it can read it for me. Proverbs 16, verse 12 says something. Proverbs 16, verse 12. Is anybody reading? It is an abomination. It is an abomination. For kings to commit wickedness. For kings to commit wickedness. It's an abomination for kings to commit. To commit wickedness. For a throne is established by righteousness. For the throne, if it has to be upheld, it has to be by righteousness. Verse 13. Righteous leaves are the delight of, are the delight of kings. And they love him who speaks what is right. And they love him who speaks what is right. Can you see how righteousness is expressed, even in speech? Even in speech. You can't speak on righteousness and tell me you are righteous. There's something wrong in the two. Oh, praise the Lord. Is that point clear now? Thank God, yeah. Do we understand it now? Yes. And that is why when Jesus was teaching, 
when he was teaching in that, you know, uh, what do you call it, on the mountain, someone on the mountain, turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, there was something there. Or there is something there that I just want us to take note of this morning. Um, it says, <clears throat> let's look at it. Uh, sorry, I'm trying to look at. Oh, I've missed the verse now. Is it verse eight? Okay, let's look at verse eight. No, I've already read verse eight. That's not the one I'm looking for. Where, where it says, unless your righteousness exceed those of the Pharisees. Yes, I've seen it. Verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds. We are not just talking about and the make the make the, the, the showmanship of the Pharisees and the scribes. No, we are talking about a righteousness that emulates God. Act and commitment to doing what is right. May God give us understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's round up this. As we pick the third leg of this expression of God's holiness, which He also wants to see in our lives justice. You remember that uh, Psalm 89, verse 14? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Through Isaiah 32, verses 1, verse 1, I think, 1 and 2 or 1. Somebody to read it for me quickly as we begin to round up somewhere here. I just want to tell us what this is about. They go together. Actually, they run together. Righteousness and justice, they run together. But it's good for us to describe it separately so that we understand it better. Verse 32, uh, chapter 32 says, Behold, verse 1, a king will reign in righteousness. Can you see that? Mm -hmm. With a commitment to do right. Anyone who must reign, if he says, He has made us kings and priests unto our God that we may reign on earth, there must be a commitment to righteousness. Can you see that? Yes. And princes will rule with justice. So you can see the, the issue of justice there. What is justice? The simple way to put it is fairness. Just to be fair. Fair to all. Fairness to all. It's fair. God is fair to all. In his fairness, is his holiness also demonstrated. With him, there is no partiality. Do you remember what we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17? The God who judges without partiality. No, it's not partial. 
There's nothing discriminatory about God. Do you understand that? He yeah. can't feel partially. It will contradict his holiness. It's not partial. It's the same standard for one and the same standard for the other. And that's why I was listening to one of those older saints uh, not too long ago. And he said, well, he said, why do this generation think that the God who demanded so much from Paul and Peter, let's not talk about Old Testament, let's talk about New, who demanded so much from Peter, from Paul, then suddenly come to our age and say, well, maybe we should change the goalpost. Does that not look ridiculous? Mm. To operate under the same covenant? I said, let's change the goalpost a little bit. And it's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Yes. So, can you see that? It's because the standard is already set. So, part of his holiness is justice. No partiality. He will not deal with the black with one standard and deal with the white with another standard. That's why there can be no racism in God. That's why racism is anti-God. It's not just anti-people, it's anti-God. Because it's using double standard to deal with people. Are you getting me? To use one standard to deal with the right, with the rich, and use another standard to deal with the poor, is on right. That's what James was talking about. He said, no, when you see the rich come to you, you say, you sit in this, in this porch seat. When you see the poor come, you say, you go and sit in that lower one. You say, is that correct? Because it doesn't demonstrate the holiness of God. Does this make sense to us? Yes. Fairness. Dealing with everyone fairly is part of holiness. Equity. Remember what Peter said? Somebody to open it for me. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Peter said something there that is very, very important. And those who know God closely know that that is why how his holiness is demonstrated. It is what determines reward. It is what also determines punishment. You cannot say, oh, because I've given my life to Christ, I can commit sin. And God will punish the unbelievers outside who is doing exactly the same thing. Are you getting me? I say, because I am born again, look, I can continue to do that. I'm not talking about the one you have repented of. I'm talking about something you continue to do, hiding under the cloak of God understands. You know, you wouldn't understand it. That's why it gives us the capacity. Amen. Amen. Acts 10, verse 34. Then, then Peter opened his mouth, opened his mouth and, said, and said, In truth, of a truth, I perceive that I, God shows no partiality. I perceive, I can see it clearly that God shows no partiality. 
No partiality. No partiality. It's part of the integrity of God. It's part of his holiness to show no partiality. No partiality. When you see God act, he's acting justly. No partiality. It's part of his righteousness. But like I said, it's good to, def- to separate it so that we understand what that bit of him means. Those who must, must be fair to all. When you see a discriminatory leader, you know, and things like that, just know that there's something wrong with it. It cannot be right. It's just not right. And the church must be clear about it. It cannot be right. The church must speak about it. This cannot be. Best, yes, read on to verse 35. But in every nation, anywhere they may be, whoever fears him, and works righteousness, is accepted by him, and works righteousness. Can you see that? Is committed to righteousness. He outworks it like as if you are working mathematics. You are working solving math problem. You work it out. That's why the scripture says, "Work out your salvation with fear and trembling." Work out, work it. God is working in you. Outwork it. So you can see that God's judgment, even at the end of the day, has grounds for it. There's no doubt about it. I conclude this morning by looking at something Moses said. And there we are going to conclude. Do we understand this idea of justice? There are many scriptures we could have gone into. But as you now read, you will understand what it means by justice. You remember in Genesis 18, when Abraham was pleading with God, said, ah, will the judge of the old and not do what is right? Are you going to destroy the wicked? And the righteous with the wicked? Say, far be it from you. You can't do that. That will contradict your holiness. You understand me? Mm-hmm. May the Lord help us Amen. to be committed to holy living, purity, righteousness, and justice in the name of Jesus.